For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. It's a Monday morning, week three of Earth 365. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. We're here to get you back into a football mood on this Monday the Mac-a-Mac guys. I'm Jody McDonald. My partner is from Sports Illustrated, phillyvoice.com. And right here with me, stuck in this mode every Monday through <laughs> Friday for two hours, John McMullen. J-Mac, how was your weekend? Good, Jody. A little bit recharging the batteries, trying to... Actually, I just worked. I didn't recharge anything. So it never ends. That's why we're here. It keeps going. It keeps rolling. That's better I, than the alternative, though. You got to look at it that way. That, that is very true. I, too, like you, worked uh, too much this weekend. And the only other thing that I did that was uh, fun was uh, yesterday was my wife's birthday. So we went out. When I say we, I mean me, my wife, and my daughter came back over from Philly and uh, spent the weekend with us. Went out for brunch. All right. When was the last time you had brunch, J-Mac? Oh, I used to go out to brunch a lot. Uh, you know, I'm a big diner guy here in South Jersey. So um, my wife and I used to go out for brunch quite a bit pre-pandemic. Post, you know, since the pandemic started, that has slowed to a crawl unfortunately. And we haven't gotten back into the habit just yet. See, I would argue with you that if you go to a diner, you can't be going out for brunch because a diner's menu is the same every minute of every day. Oh, I hear. It never changes. You go in at... uh, Well, we call it it brunch. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not specially advertised as brunch. I hear what you're saying. Right. We went to a nice restaurant yesterday which had a brunch menu. So I was thinking, for me, it was lunch because I had already set my mind in mode for lunch. So even though I got my hands on the menu, I did look longingly at the French toast, which is my favorite thing on the planet when it comes to something that could be considered at least in some way, shape or form breakfast. But then I moved quickly to a hamburger and it was outstanding. So <laughs> did get out with uh, my girls yesterday, which was a lot of fun. But then Got back into the sporting world, including continuing to talk a little football. 
the countdown is on. We are now into single-digit days before the NFL draft, if you've already checked this morning off your uh, calendar for a yeah. day to wait for the NFL draft. And the speculation is fun. The speculation is great. Are you in the mode yet of just hurry up and get here? Oh, NFL draft? I've been there for about three weeks, Jody. I mean, we are we are knee deep in the silly season. You saw that Trevor Lawrence that came out, uh, article that came out in Sports Illustrated. Everybody's trying to look at Trevor Lawrence and saying, oh, does he love football? Is he going to walk? You know, I mean, that's where we are in this point that we're talking about the number one overall pick and potentially being the next Andrew Luck. And people are saying, you know, then you have the other coin where, you know, if other quarterbacks had said similar things that they would have gotten criticized and it, it, it is, it's silly season. There's no better way to describe it than that phrase. Hey, it's funny. Cause uh, you mentioned Andrew Luck. I too read the article. They made it almost sound like, the Colts made a mistake by drafting Andrew Luck because <laughs> he did call his career as quickly as he did. But I firmly believe it was more because of injuries than it was because of lack of love for football or commitment to the game of football. Every once in a while you make a pick, it's the right pick, you do the right, and it just doesn't work out. And it's of no control of yours. I couldn't believe that people are suggesting that the Colts actually made a mistake by drafting Andrew Luck because the results are in and they only got X amount of years out. Of yeah, well, that's exactly it. And that's what people want to uh, sort of have this in a microcosm. Philadelphia is the same way. I mean, you have people saying Carson Wentz was a failure. And we talked about that whole Twitter kerfuffle about people coming to the defense of the trade and the pick. The trade worked out. The pick worked out. It didn't work out as long as you had hoped as a fan, the fact that he was 11 and two in 2017, got the Eagles to the number one seed, were able to make that run and got their Super Bowl, that makes that a success. Anything else is, you know, gravy on, on, on your French, more syrup on your French toast, uh, Jody <laughs> Mack. It, that, I, I mean, you got what you wanted since 1960. And people are arguing because it didn't last as long as they thought it was going to last. It's still a success. It ended poorly. Same thing with Andrew Luck. I mean, you had they didn't win the Super Bowl, so that's a little bit disappointing. But they immediately went into double-digit wins. I think it was three straight years. They immediately went to a consistent playoff team, uh, AFC championship game. That's a – come on. That's a success. I agree wholeheartedly with you on both. Uh, about Carson Wentz and about Andrew Luck. And I think the Jaguars would take if they got either Andrew Luck's success and or Carson Wentz's success, which, yes, did include a Super Bowl. If he didn't play any actual game, he was a major yeah. part of a Super Bowl-winning season here in Philadelphia. Oh, I think Jacksonville would take either. If they could sign for it today to get Andrew Luck's career and all results attached to it and or Carson Wentz's career and all results attached to it, I think Jacksonville would take either two of those today and hand the card into the commissioner and say, we'll take Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick. I blame all of this on my second favorite uh, race car driver of all time. And that's Ricky Bobby, who said, you know, who started the movie. You know, the phrase is, if you're not first, you're last. Right. Too many fans have that championship or bus mentality. Guess what? 
you know, in the NFL, there's 32 teams. So only one of them standing at the end. It ain't, it's not easy. Right. If the law of averages worked across the board, you'd win a Super Bowl once every 32 years. Now, Eagle fans had to wait a little longer than 32, but they did get one, which means we got to be content for the next 30 years before uh, Philadelphia's time rolls around again, or so we see, I think, or so we hope. 30. Well, 1960, by the way, I was hoping you would say who my favorite race car driver was. But nonetheless, 1960 to 2017, what is that? 57, Joe. Yeah. So 30 would be real good. <laughs> you would think in comparison to what happened here. Hey, John, I got one other thing to ask you. Um, Who's your favorite race car driver of all time? <laughs> um, I was going the Dick Trickle joke just because I don't know. I'm goopy. Oh, I've been using a Dick Trickle <laughs> joke myself for years. So uh, I, I tip my hat to you, my friend, for going down the Dick Trickle road. Um, it, the roads we'll be going down today includes a lot of talk about the NFL draft. Jordan Reed is going to join us uh, from the NFL Draft Network to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, I've never had Jordan on before as a guest. Uh, you tell me he's an ex-college player, huh? Yeah, played quarterback at uh, North Carolina Central University, coach there as well. So he, he obviously he's got a, a real good firm hand on the quarterback position. But, you know, as a whole, he's been he's been doing it at the draft network for a while now. He's very good. He's very he understands, especially offensive football, I would say. And you think about the quarterback position, that means, you know, defense as well. So I do. You know, and this is just me personally. I do put a little bit more on 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 guys who actually did it, and and Jordan knows what needs to be accomplished on the field. So I think he's going to be a great guest. I think he's going to give us a lot of uh, interesting input and on everything, it, it, especially we just talked about Trevor Lawrence. You know, one of the things uh, I want to get his take on Jody is. The lack of OTAs, man. And the Eagles are the latest team, among the latest teams to voluntary opt out of voluntary work. <laughs> sort of the redundancy of that. Um, but really with young quarterbacks, because the Eagles have Jalen Hurts, we expect them to draft a quarterback at some point, probably on day three. They're going to have young quarterbacks who aren't in here very much in the offseason. And they got to progress. They got to they got to develop quickly and how do you do that the line you used uh, is something that i do want to discuss here today usually you trust someone who's done it before as an overreaching stance i certainly agree with that experience is great in almost every single facet of life you're in but every once in a while something pops up that i say now wait a minute this person used to do this for a living on the highest of high levels and this is their take uh, I happened to peruse a, a mock draft, and our buddy Jordan Reed, who's going to join us, certainly has his latest one uh, up. Uh, and I did notice this one. During your time covering the league, how often, if ever, did you ever get a chance to interview Charlie Casserly, the ex-general manager of the Washington Reds? Probably a handful of times, three or four times. Um, and, and and Charlie is plugged in, not as much as he was. But, yeah, I if you're going down that road, I think you're going, it doesn't mean you're right. I mean, just because you have experience, you've been there before, done that before. Look, everybody who's been there before, done it before, will tell you it ain't easy. And the longer you do it, the more mistakes you have, and they're going to pile up. 
And Charlie Castle, these days, is working for the NFL Network, uh, writing on NFL.com, put out his latest mock draft. So, like with every mock draft, and I try and find a new one each and every single day because everybody and his brother's got a mock draft and all different opinions give you perspective on what you think is going to happen. Truth be told, it doesn't matter. None of them matter. Oh, for them matter. It's only what comes down starting next uh, Thursday night. I could not believe, because, you know, maybe my favorite player in this upcoming draft is Justin Fields. He quarterback from Ohio State. Uh, I've just been wowed by the young man over the last two years at Ohio State and think he's a future franchise quarterback waiting to happen. So I go through the first couple of picks. I said, wow, he's got Justin Fields falling through the top five, through the top ten. Through the top 15, through the top 20. Whoa. He has him going 24th to the Pittsburgh Steelers to be the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. He is not alone in those who are projecting Justin Fields to not only be the fifth quarterback of the five quarterbacks taken in the first round, but uh, not in the top five or top 10 either, that he is going to do the slip slide all the way down uh, further into the draft to number 24 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know how many teams are going to have to pass on him that are going to have to look each other in the eye in their draft room and say, you know, we we have our quarterback, but Justin Fields is still on the board. 23 times he's going to get passed before his name is called. So that's where I'm coming up a little short this morning, just this morning, as a matter of fact, because this happened last night when Charlie Castley put up his latest mock that I said, Yeah, maybe just because they've done it before doesn't mean they know what they're talking about right now. Yeah, well, I I will say this. I don't agree with him, Jody. I think ultimately Justin Fields is going to go fourth. I don't know to whom. Um, I think Atlanta might trade out. I think we're going to see quarterback, 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 quarterback for the first time in the Super Bowl era. So I'll say right off the bat, I don't agree with him. But what I will agree with, is there's going to be some type of surprise uh, that happens in this league. Best example might be Aaron Rodgers, who fell. You know, the debate that year was, who are you going to take at number one overall, Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers? And uh, San Francisco took Alex Smith. They still take heat for it, even though Alex developed into a very good quarterback later in life. But let's be honest, he ain't Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's not close. Um And all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers doesn't go two, he doesn't go three, he doesn't go 10, he doesn't go 15, he doesn't go 20, whatever he landed, I think it was 21, somewhere in that range. Um, It happens, it always happens, and there's going to be a big surprise for reasons we don't know. That's the one thing, you mentioned all the mock drafts. There's a lot of smart people doing mock drafts that get things wrong. Because even people who were involved, like Charlie Casserly, because they no longer have that inside info. They no longer have uh, all the medical evaluations. They no, no longer have the ability to talk to the kids uh, up close and get the, the skinny on their backgrounds and any potential red flags from that perspective. Now, they're plugged in. They're plugged in as much as anybody could be, but it's not the same. And that's why everybody from me who does these things to Jordan, who's coming up, 
So the other 1,275 mock drafts you will see this week, and then that number will go to 1,432 next week, Jody. We don't have that information. So, yeah, there's going to be mistakes. We call them educated guesses. Some are more educated than others, uh, but we rely on them to at least make us think. And I give Charlie Castellet as much. Oh, he made me think. He made smoke them out my ears because <laughs> I'm that big a Justin Fields fan. I couldn't believe he was disrespected enough to be dropped to 24. Uh, one thing I'm not sure of. Let me make uh, two statements slash predictions for you. Um, I do not know. Maybe you do know. The fact that they're going to have the draft live in uh, Cleveland this year. Last year, it was the fir first in very long time. Uh, I guess they did it. Well, no, they didn't do it virtually. They all got together in a hotel back here in the 60s uh, in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. The NFL yeah. draft. So yeah. it was the truly first ever uh, NFL virtual draft, all done with people everywhere across the country checking in on computers. Uh, they're going to do it live again this year in Cleveland. Don't know what the pandemic aspect of it's going to be, how many people are going to let in, uh, masks and the like will or won't be worn, we shall see. But are they bringing in players? Yeah. Because when you were telling that Aaron Rodgers story, the thing I remember most about that was he was in the quote-unquote green room yeah. because they believed he was going to be a top five, top ten pick. And they kept going to the green room, and they had 10 or 11 or 12 guys. And if they had 12 guys... 10 of them were gone. It was Aaron Rodgers and another guy who had slipped down. And Rodgers was the name that everybody recognized and had their eye on. And they just kept going to ISO shots of him. And he's there and he's trying to keep a smile face on and you try to put a good face on it. And you know, he's just going crazy. He can't believe he's dropped this much. Man, yeah. it start, yeah. he started his career with me having so much sympathy for the poor guy because he had to sit there and wait and wait and wait for his name to be called. Worked out just fine for him, but Damn, I remember that day. Are they going to have players at the draft this year? Do you know? They are. They have invited the typical 30 or so. And obviously, it's up to the players to accept or if they want to stay home with their family. Uh, but, yeah, we're getting closer to normal. There are going to be potential uh, number one picks at the draft. And um, that's a good thing. I mean, anytime we get a little bit closer to normal, uh, that's a big thumbs up for me. And here's my bold prediction. I'm going way the hell out there on the limb. And it's not a foregone conclusion. So th there is a little uh, trepidation with which I make this statement. I think this will be the highest rated NFL draft ever, ever. It is an no. off-season piece of property, broadcast property, which has just continued to tick up year after year after year. And it has been watered down because the NFL Network does it, ESPN does it, ABC, ABC in conjunction now with ESPN, which is owned by the same big company, do it a little bit differently. They face which is crazy to me, by the way. Why doesn't ABC just do what they always do and take the ESPN feed? But no, they have to have an entire different uh, television package, uh, which makes no sense to me. I will say I disagree with you, Jody, but nothing to do with the draft, nothing to do with the NFL fragmentation of television. I do a lot with television range. There's too many things to watch. It, everything goes down. It doesn't go up. Right. But here's the beauty of it, um, that they will be able to, and when I say they, I mean the National Football League will be able to claim 
Oh, they'll add all of those. Oh, sure. Yeah. Networks sure. together. It'll yeah. be the NFL network plus ESPN plus ABC. Any network that is broadcasting the draft can all be lumped together and then they can give you a rating for it. I think when you do that, and it's I think it's fair to do that, it's going to be the highest number ever to have eyeballs on sets for the NFL network because we are still in a pandemic time. I get it that uh, everything is fragmented and there are so many other options for people just to spend hours in their day. But with the intrigue of the quarterbacks at the top of this draft, I think it's going to be the highest rated NFL draft ever. That's a good point with the quarterbacks because people love the quarterbacks and you got it. I'm going to have to rethink that in the break, Jody. I'm going to have to give you a check mark. That is, that's a good point. You do think about that. I'll think about what questions we're going to ask Jordan Reed from the NFL Draft Network. He's going to join us next. The countdown is on. We're getting dangerously close to the NFL Draft. We appreciate you tuning in here on Birds 365 on the Jacob Media Network and also on phillyvoice.com. Jordan Reed, NFL uh, Network, joins us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, 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 middle. the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Sprinkler Fitters Local 692 represents a storied history and heritage of steam fitters, plumbers, and gas fitters dating back to the late 1800s and continues today to thrive into the 21st century. Local 692 is a highly trained group of skilled individuals. Local 692 represents the Philadelphia building trades and provides excellence completing the job on time under budget. Local 692, a proud member of the Philadelphia Union community, Wayne Miller, business manager. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mag. 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Monday morning edition of Birds 365. I'm Jody McDonald. We're here to talk football with you. Mostly birds, but when necessary, we will spread it out over the entire National Football League. And we'll do so in our next segment. Joining us here on Birds 65 is Jordan Reed from the NFL Draft Network. Jordan, Jody Mack and John McMullen here. Uh, how's your countdown to the NFL Draft going? Jordan, we got you. We're hoping. We can see Jordan. Uh, this is the first time we've had this. He uh, cannot issue. hear us. Well, Jordan, we, are you there? Well, there he goes. Put the headsets on. We'll see if that does us any better. Jordan, Jordan McDonald and John McMullen here. How are you, buddy? Nope, that hasn't helped out either. <laughs> We're All some... right, we'll try some uh, technical things. Xander, could you take Jordan off uh, when he, as well, he tries to figure out? Hopefully, uh, we'll get this technical glitch. We've been doing well, as you mentioned, for those first two weeks. Uh, obviously, we can see Jordan. He can't hear us for some reason. Not, um, sure, not sure the reason for that. You're right, because uh, we tried to bunch up two good guests a day for the first uh, 10 shows. Uh, I'll do the math here. That's 20 guests. And I think George was the only guy who we couldn't get up on uh, a video screen uh, who was on with us uh, audio-wise and was phenomenal, by the way. And remember, yeah. on a YouTube channel, you can go back and listen to any of the interviews. And George was just honest last week, and it was uh, great. And that's available to you guys. But this is the first time we haven't been able to see uh, somebody's smiling face other than George. And we did see a smiling face. We just couldn't hear his uh, insight for the upcoming draft. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jaws was great, and you're right. I mean, you can you can listen to that interview on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. So uh, I encourage everybody to do that. And anytime you get somebody, especially with the quarterback class, and that's why I was so excited uh, to get Jordan on as well, because he played quarterback at North Carolina Central. Uh, so he understands the position. He understands uh, what you need to do. Uh, to be successful, uh, not only at the college, but the professional level. And you talk about Jaws. And I mentioned on the show, Jody, you know, nobody, nobody knows uh, more about playing quarterback in, in the city of Philadelphia than Ron Jaworski. But we punched up uh, Jordan Reed. Hopefully uh, he's got us now. Uh, Jordan, can you hear us? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah, we, we got, got you. All we right, got you perfectly fine, Jordan. Thanks for uh, the uh, hop on, and uh, hopefully, no more technical issues. Technically speaking, are you ready to uh, to do an NFL draft right now? If the commissioner called and said, Jordan, you're on the <laughs> clock, uh, well, you probably know which way we're going to go with pick one. But if he said, run down the first ten or twelve picks for us, would you be ready to do that for the teams selecting there in the uh, upcoming draft? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You guys know I do this for a living, so uh, I'm excited. <laughs> that, and I'm sure you guys are excited, too. Yeah, we are. Uh, and, and by the way, draftnetwork.com. Jordan just put up his top 100 uh, big board, I think, this morning. 
So everybody go check that out. Uh, Jordan played quarterback at the college level, coached it. Uh, and Jordan, we had Ron Jaworski, longtime, obviously, quarterback of the Eagles on the show last week. He mentioned this as sort of a historic quarterback class. What do you think at the top of this draft? Is there a possibility we're going to see quarterback one, two, three, four for the first time in the Super Bowl era? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a strong possibility. It wouldn't surprise me if even uh, we see quarterbacks go four in a row, one through four. That yeah. would not surprise me either, considering we'll see what Atlanta does. I think Matt Ryan still has some good years left in him, but if they want to go ahead and find a successor like Green Bay did last year with Jordan Love, that wouldn't surprise me if they do end up going that route. But we know Trevor Lawrence is probably presumably going to be the number one overall pick. I mean, at his pro day, Urban Meyer was basically in the huddle, instructing everything that he wanted to see from him. So I'll be surprised if he doesn't go number one overall. Number two, I think it's pretty much a given that Zach Wilson is going to go number two overall to the Jets. And then number three, that's really where the, the draft starts. In a sense, we've seen a lot of Mac Jones steam come out of San Francisco, and that may be a direction that they go. But Kyle Shanahan was once again in the huddle with Justin Fields at Ohio State's second pro day. So we don't really know which direction that they're going to go. Trey Lance has his second pro day again today. So uh, and the 49ers contingent is expected to be there. So we could see quarterbacks go consecutive as far as one, two, three and four. All right. So since you put up your new top 100 player list, give me the top 10 guys in order. How many of those quarterbacks who could go one, two, three, four are actually top 10 football players in your estimation? Um, well, there's three guys that I really, well, I should say four that I feel good about, but I only have three in my top 10, and that's Trevor Lawrence at one. He's the presumptive favorite, like I said, to go number one overall. Justin Fields is my quarterback, too, right now. I just like the tools that he brings right now, and I think he has a little bit more upside than some of the other secondary options, including Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson is a much polished passer, much more polished passer right now, but if you put into if you put into um, you know consideration the the physique that Justin Fields has, the mobility, and then just some of the things that he needs to clean up at the position, I think he has a little bit more upside than Wilson does have. And I think Wilson is probably going to be the better immediate pro. But long term, I think Justin is going to be a little bit better. And you know Zach plays the game like a shortstop. He plays with those funky arm angles. He can play off the platform. And he had a really good offensive line, so they did a really good job of protecting him. Level of competition is something that's always going to come up about him. But at the end of the day, he's not the athletic director. He doesn't make the schedule. He just has to go out there and execute of who he's playing against. And that's exactly what he did at BYU. You know, Jordan, you just mentioned Trey Lance is having a, another pro day today. There have been second pro days for Justin Fields. Alabama had two pro days. The whole process and uh, obviously coming off as we're starting to turn the corner hopefully on the pandemic how much more difficult has it made it to to evaluate players where you don't have the combine you don't have this this typical thing that everybody's used to it's been very difficult honestly john just because if you go back to last year when the pandemic really hit it was about march and the 2020 draft was definitely different just because you're putting a bow on everything around March and April, especially the beginning weeks of April. You're really finalizing your draft board in a sense. So everything was pretty much done during the 2020 draft when the pandemic really hit. But this year, everything has just been so different, especially for area scouts. So with area scouts, they usually use August to about December to go through schools. They get information, do background checks. They ask position coaches, strength coaches, even janitors around the facility about certain players. And they're getting a lot of intel. But 
with those schools not really opening their doors to any area scouts, you're really playing catch up and you're really going to find out which teams have a really good networking pool as far as who they know in the building. And then if they drafted some players from that building or from that school in years past, they're able to get different types or different angles of intel from some players. So a lot of teams are really playing catch up in a sense. That's why pro days were so important. The senior bowl and then some of these other lower tier uh, postseason Oscar all-star games were so important just because that was really their first time being exposed to a lot of these players since they couldn't go to a bunch of games. They really couldn't experience them live and in person. And then you couldn't go through the school at all. You mentioned that you've got three of the quarterbacks that you think will be taken in the top three if they go one, two, three, four, as we're all suggesting is a possibility. Uh, Trey Lance, not in your top 10. Mac Jones, not in your top 10. How far down your list of 100 do you have to go to before you get to each of those QBs? So Trey Lance is 24, and I think Mac is 61, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm a little bit lower on both of those guys, and the sample size does scare me a little bit with them. Trey Lance only playing in 19 career games. He made 17 career starts. Mac Jones is in a similar situation with 17 career starts as well. And since the year 2000, there's only been four guys that had that, well, really five, uh, with that small of a sample size that went on to become first-round picks. And it's Mark Sanchez, Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins, and also Mitchell Trubisky. So obviously a mixed bag as far as how their careers turned out. And whenever you're talking about a small sample size with quarterbacks, it definitely is scary. And that's not to say the more reps or the more games, the better, but the more evidence that you have of a player, I think it's always a good thing. And with both of those guys only having 17 career starts under their belt, I think they're going to play a little bit of a, a little bit of a catch up game coming on to the next level. All right, Jordan, before we get into your thought process on the Eagles here in Burst 365, obviously we're Eagles centric at number 12 overall. I want to take you back to last year's draft because Jalen Hurts is set to take over this team. As a second-round pick, number 53 overall. Obviously, he's got some upside, but there were some issues as well. Go back to your evaluation of him, what you think of him as a player. And also, we just uh, you see all the teams dropping out of voluntary work and veterans aren't going to have as much as an offseason again. How much does that hurt a developmental-type quarterback like Jalen Hurts? Um, I'll just start with the first part of the question. I like Jalen coming out, um, but you really have to understand the type of quarterback he is, an outstanding leader, has all of the intangibles that you want to see at the position. Um, everybody glows about his leadership. And I think that was evident when he stepped in last year. The Saints game is one game that I really love to come back to of where it just seemed like the team was able to galvanize around him and they seemed to play a little bit harder when he came out there and it was kind of a sigh of relief and that's no knock against Carson or anything like that but whenever the starting quarterback is struggling the most popular guy in town is always going to be the backup quarterback that's something that I always say with that and with Jalen you you use a second round pick on him so they thought very highly of him coming out um, once again his leadership is outstanding stepping into that locker room at Oklahoma being named a team captain right away and then we saw the respect that guys like Tua Tunga by lower half for him Nick Saban always glows about him when he talks about him too um, not the strongest arm in the world but he's very efficient as far as all three levels of the field you have to have some really good talent around him and you have to involve him in the quarterback run game a lot that's really how to get him going in a sense but I think as far as his upside, I think he could be a top 15 to 20 quarterback in the league. I think that's probably as far as I would be willing to go with him right now. But I think the Eagles have to do a much better job of surrounding him with a really good supporting cast just because he's going to need it. 
All right. Uh, let me get back to uh, your top 100 for this upcoming draft. And I appreciate the fact that you did that. It's one thing to do a mock draft. And then you're trying to assign a team and a need and weighing against your overall rankings and what a team needs to do. That's an exercise into itself. Just ranking them in order as per their talents, their skills, what kind of career you think you're going to have is a different type of task you undertake, which I like both, and I love to compare the two. I'm looking at your top 100, and you've got Jalen Waddle as the fourth best prospect in this draft. Uh, the kid can flat out fly. I understand that. It was unfortunate that he lost this year to injury the way that he did for Alabama. Fourth best player in this draft? What is it about Jalen Waddle that you love that much? explosiveness and he's not your typical down the field wide receiver that just likes to take the top off of the defense he brings you value in special teams an outstanding kick returner but he's very polished as a wide receiver as well go watch him against missouri he was outstanding in that game and then there's just so many different ways that you can use him he's not just a wide receiver you can put him in the backfield if you want to you can play him out of the slot attack down the field attack the intermediate areas and then also the short areas of the field as well and then prior to his injury he actually led alabama and catches receiving yards and then also touchdowns as well so that just goes to show you the the type of respect that they had for him there and he was going to have a huge breakout year this year he really was the fourth guy on that totem pole prior to this year behind jerry judy um also Devontae smith and then henry ruggs as well this was supposed to be his breakout year he predominantly played in the slot prior to this year but he transitioned outside and they really used him all over the field plays the game with the jetpack on that's what i like to say about him he just moves at a different speed from his surroundings and i think just adding that type of dynamic to your offense that's why if i was a defensive coordinator he would keep me up all night long just because he would he would be a player that i would hate the game plan against yeah, pretty amazing the talent that was in that wide receiver room at alabama xander our producer will like that uh i i point that out but i i do see you know, a guy that I projected the Eagles to take at number 12 overall in one of my mock drafts, and people hated me for it, Jordan. Elijah Vera Tucker, and you had him at number 10 overall. School the people on why this guy is such a good prospect. Versatility, that's the first thing that you have to understand about him. Played left guard his first two years at USC, was lights out. There surprised a lot of people when he transitioned to left tackle this year just because he doesn't have the quote-unquote length that you love to see at the position, doesn't have the 33-inch arms that a lot of NFL teams like to use as a threshold, but he simply just doesn't get beat. And he has some of the, he has some of the film of where he's not going to wow you with mowing guys over or anything like that, has really good feet, really strong, always on balance, and uh, really good pass sets, really strong in the running game. But like I said, he's not going to be plowing guys over and, He's not Quentin Nelson or anything like that. He's not going to have any of those bone crushing blocks, but he's just overall solid. And a lot of people like to bring up the Oregon game about him of where he was playing against Kavon Thibodeau, who's a player we'll be talking about a lot this time next year as far as early on in the draft. But there was a lot of reps of where he was able to win. And he played that game with a bad hamstring as well, which is something that he talked about at his pro day. And he wasn't making any excuses for himself or anything. But outside of that game, I thought he played lights out uh, last season. Jordan, want to ask you about the cornerback position, uh, checking your top 100 rankings. Uh, you have the two guys who I think the Eagles may have their choice between Patrick Sertain and uh, J.C. Horn, rather close in the draft. 
But above them all, Caleb Fairley, you've got him in the top 10 at number seven, the seventh best prospect in the draft. I assume you're putting his physical question marks completely to the side and saying, I'm just evaluating what they did this past year, not projecting what they will do because of injuries and the like. What is it about Farley that you like so much? And have you gotten reports and or information that said, don't sweat the physical uh, issues that he has. He's going to be perfectly fine and go on and have a uh, tremendous cornerback career in the NFL. Well, in my updated top 100, I slid him down to quarterback three or cornerback three, excuse me, since the, okay. the injury situation with his back. Um, I don't have any access to the medicals, so I don't want to misquote or, you know, say anything bad about him in that sense. I don't have any access to that. But I think as far as if we're just evaluating the talent, um, him and J.C. Horn and, of course, certain the second are at the top as far as uh, this cornerback class. And with those three guys, I don't think you could go wrong with either one if we're just basing it off of the talent. But my cornerback one in this class is J.C. Horn. I love the NFL bloodlines with him and certain the second. I just love that alpha mentality at that position just because I think half the battle entering the league at corner is just confidence. And if you think about the elite guys at the position, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, Tredavious White, the list goes on and on. You have to have that alpha mentality stepping onto the field, feeling as if you belong. I think that's half the battle with this position. So J.C. Horn is the guy for me at the top, and he's not as polished as the other two guys, but uh, as far as upside and then just the attitude that he brings to the secondary, he's my guy at the position. But with Farley, he's a bit boomer bust just because he's had the two back surgeries. He had one in 2019, and then also the latest one that he had a couple weeks ago. And then we haven't seen him in a very long time. It's been over like 500 days since we've seen him play his last game of football. And then uh, you couple that with the back injuries and then the surgeries as well. But very long, 6'2", 205 pounds, can run, reportedly runs in the low four threes. Um, that's something that he's been been running during his training. But I love the way he's able to turn and run with wide receivers, very comfortable with attacking the ball out of the air as well. Jordan, I, I want to dive a little deeper into Horn versus Sertain with you and the fact that they both have that NFL bloodline. But in, in the fact that uh, I've been hearing that Horn maybe has a little bit more upside as a as a man-to-man coverage corner where Sertain would be more of a more comfortable in the zone type atmosphere. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, JC's more of a press man type of corner of where you want him getting up into the face of wide receivers and just trying to the fight with them in a sense as far as getting nosy, getting his hands on with jam attempts, just because that's what he thrives off of. Very competitive. The Tennessee game of where you can just see him prior to the snap, like running up to the wide receiver and kind of like clapping in their face, like just bring it. I love that part about him, just the competitive edge that he plays with as well. Sertan did play some off man. Uh, predominantly at Alabama, played a little bit in the slot early on in his career, but you never really saw him tested a whole bunch down the field. There was one time where he was tested well, twice in his career where he was tested and beat for a touchdown was against Tennessee. Josh Palmer got him and then Trayvon Grimes in the SEC championship down the right sideline against Florida. So those were only the two times of where we've really seen him tested. Uh, but as far as him playing a side saddle technique, cover three, I think he's able to do that with his back to the sideline and then playing off man. I think he can really thrive at that. All right, Jordan, the Eagles pick at number 11 in the first round, traded down, uh, excuse me, to 12, from 6 to 12. If at 12, the Eagles select Quiddy Pay from uh, Michigan University, will that be a value pick in your eyes? No, it's not a great year for edge pass rushers. He's probably the best of the group. If that's the case, 
at number 12, would the Eagles be getting value with Quiddy Pay? I think it's a little early for Pay. Um, I think they have some more pressing needs. I think they can address cornerback and then also wide receiver. I know they took Rager last year, but they don't have anything outside of him. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is throwing the guys like Greg Ward and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I just think they need a bit of an an um bit of an upgrade on the perimeter so wide receiver or corner i think would be the better value but excuse me if they went edge rusher i can see why they would do it but i just don't think it's a super pressing need over wide receiver or corner for them uh jordan i know you got to run here you got your own draft meetings everybody's setting up their draft board for the big day but uh uh, I do want to get your thoughts on the defensive line as a whole because it, it is a bit of a down year, at least at the top of the draft, not necessarily depth-wise. So where do you see the first edge rusher uh, coming off the board? And is there a an interior defensive lineman other than Christian Barmore worthy of being a first-round pick? I think eleven. Uh, with the New York Giants, I think that's where we could see the run start on edge rushers. And the thing about this class is that there's no consensus guy at the top like we've seen in years past with Chase Young and Miles Garrett and the Bosa's. We just don't have that guy in this draft class. So you're talking about the Giants at 11. The Vikings at 14 could go a little bit against the grain and take one there. Las Vegas Raiders at 17 could take one. Even the Arizona Cardinals at 16, they could opt to take one, even though they signed J.J. Watt. Um, they still could get they, they still could use a young pass rusher, especially after you losing Hassan Reddick. So I think in the teens, the early to late teens, I think that's where we could see the first edge rusher go. Um, but you're talking about, you know, Jalen Phillips or Aziz Ojolari, somebody like that, or even Quiddy Pay could come off of the board in the early to mid to late teens. So with this edge rusher class, though, it is a little bit unique. You have a lot of talented guys at the position, but there's no blue chip guy like we have seen at the top in years past. All right, Jordan, last one, and we'll let you run. Uh, in listening to you here today, we know you're a draft expert. You actually sound a little like a general manager. So I'm going to give you general manager <laughs> duties. Day three pick, not before. It's got to be day three. So fourth round on. If the Eagles were to take a quarterback, we can project what quarterbacks will be gone in rounds one, two, and three. A quarterback that would be left in round four or later who would you tell the Eagles to keep an eye on because this kid actually could develop into a guy who can play in the league despite being a day three pick? Uh, I'll go with Jamie Newman from Georgia. He's a player that kind of fell off a little bit. And what I mean by fell off is that there was a lot of question marks about him as far as when he came into training camp. He was in a, a position battle with JT Daniels, and he just suddenly left out of training camp. And there was a lot of question marks about that. Uh, Wake Forest, he, he was a bit of a one-year wonder there, went down, had a really good year in 2018, uh, 2019, excuse me, and then he just kind of tapered off after that, and we haven't seen him in a very long time, but if you're able to stash him for maybe two to three years, I think you have a really nice project on your hands. He has some things that he needs to work on, kind of only a fastball pitcher right now. What I mean by that is he's pretty much a flamethrower. Like when he's throwing a five-yard hitch, he tries to throw it as hard as he can, so he needs to understand ball speeds understand how to loft the ball a little bit down the field and then just understand some processing things as well. He played in a little bit of an unconventional offense at Wake Forest. So the pro game is going to be a little bit of an adjustment for him. So if you're able to sit him for about two to three years, you could have something there down the road. Jordan, good stuff. You gave us plenty to think about. We appreciate you hopping on board. Uh, next nine days should be fun for you. Be busy for you, but you'd be fun for you. We appreciate you giving us a couple minutes here today. Jody, John, thank you guys so much. It's always a pleasure. 
Our pleasure. That is Jordan Reed from the NFL uh, Draft Network, giving us plenty to think about. I love the fact that he's going corner or wide receiver for the Eagles, not in the trenches. That, that'll be the big uh, sticking point between me and my partner for the next nine days. Which way are the Eagles going to go, inside or outside? I love the fact that he's got Justin Fields as quarterback number two. I think he's kind of overrating Jalen Waddle. We'll come back. I want to ask you about the wide receiver position when we come back, J-Mac. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, we are Birds 365. Stick around with us. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to, you, to your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're you talking gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. I got to get you hip to it. Because I got to yeah. get you hip to it. No, no, no. We, we have no idea what you're bro. talking about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play Action Real. Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. All no. right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers, we are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming, it's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. It's a Monday episode here on Birds 365, the Mac and Mac guys. I'm McMullen, Jody McDonald, talking birds football with you, talking all things football. As a matter of fact, and we had a good time talking to Jordan Reed of the NFL Network, um, NFL Draft Network here with us. 
I, I really like Jordan's position on a couple of things. Why? Because he kind of agrees well, with Well, Justin Fields, yeah. The, you no, no, love that part. Absolutely. And uh, the fact that he thinks the Eagles will go outside rather than inside, thinks a corner or a wide receiver is more of a choice than an uh, offense or a defensive lineman, one of the areas where you and I disagree. But one thing that I didn't quite see the same way he did was that Jalen Waddle is one of the five most talented players in this draft. I think Jalen Waddle's got a chance to be a star in the NFL. I think there's a really good chance he could be the Eagles pick at number 12, and I'll be perfectly fine with it. But I do like both of the other wide receivers in this draft, his teammate Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase, better than Jalen Waddle. He is no better than the third best wide receiver in this draft for me. He's got him rated as the number one wide receiver above both Chase and Devonta Smith. That I just don't see. Uh, and one thing he said, I think, was it was while it was accurate, it was disingenuous. He said, prior to his getting injured, he was the leading receiver and touchdown getter for he Alabama. He was. He was. How many games did he played? <laughs> one and know. a half. He played one and yeah. a half, and he was the leading receiver and touchdown well, guy I, at that time. Come on, stop that. I think the bigger point is, and I can't talk for Jordan, but certainly why it makes it a difficult – hey, it's hard for fans to understand, like, how can this guy be graded higher than the Heisman Trophy winner? I, I mean, everybody saw what Devontae Smith did. And, and by the way, I agree with you. I don't think he should be ahead. Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver uh, in the country in this draft, and he didn't even play last year. So uh, that's what makes this draft so interesting and so difficult to evaluate. Because, Jody, it's not what you did. It's what you're going to do at the next level. The bigger point to me is that Alabama, Alabama thought that Waddle was better than Smith. That is the point of pointing out he now, was the how guy. Did, how before, did we come to this determination? Because he was the guy in that offense before he got hurt. That's the point. Again, well, you're, as, you're as bad as Jordan. It be, we determine that by a game and a half in well, a 12 no, game we, season. We determine that by their their scheming, their game plan, and the realization that that's what the coaches and the personnel people said before the season. They thought that he was going to be the next superstar. Now, when you're Alabama and, 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 you know, Xander's, this is probably Xander's favorite show ever. Uh, Cause we're <laughs> all we're talking about is Crimson Tide. Now when you're Alabama at one point, as Jordan pointed out, they had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonte Smith, and, and, and Jalen Waddle in the same wide receiver room. I mean, they have tons of great talent, but bottom line, their staff in public thought he was going to be the guy. They thought he was the better player. Doesn't mean he's going to be the better player. I'm saying when NFL people evaluate him, they're not looking at what Devontae Smith did. They're looking at what is the potential of these guys at the next level. And Jordan's right. More NFL people think Jalen Waddle's going to be better than Devontae Smith. Now, they think both are going to be good, but they think he's got a chance to be better. Just uh, remind me of something because I seem to have this fleeting memory. Maybe I'm just making it up. Um, when all four of those talented wide receivers were in the same room and Alabama needed to rally to win a national championship with Tua Tungabaloa coming off the bench, 
whose number did they call to, to make the big play, to score the go-ahead touchdown to win a national championship? And again, was I'm it pointing Judy, out that, Was it Ruggs? Was it Waddle? Or was it Devonta Smith who they went the way, to, to make the big play? That was gonna, the Alabama coaching staff who, who you're suggesting to me believe that Jalen Waddle was uh, the best player coming into well, the season. By the way, I think Xander's taking over your body right now and talking about – they're all first-round picks, first-round pick, first-round pick, first-round pick, first-round pick. That's like saying, okay, when Jerry Rice was on San Francisco, John Taylor made a big play. Well, of course it happens. I mean, he's a great receiver, but Jerry's better. I mean, it's up because you make a big play on the college level and a big spot doesn't make you better. You know, is Justin Jefferson better than Jabbar Chase? Maybe, ultimately, he showed it. We don't know yet, but I mean, good players are good players. I'm not by saying Jalen Waddle has a higher upside. It's not criticizing Devonte Smith. That's just what most people in this league feel. It's not like they haven't been wrong before either. So I think we lost Jody. So it's been a difficult uh, for the first time from a technology standpoint. Uh, we've been pretty clean here on Birds 365. So. I did see, you know, Jody wasn't uh, giving me any uh, uh, facial expression. So I was wondering what the heck is going on. But uh, we are, are we're going to try to get Jody back. And I think we have him back. First time. Damn. Yeah. Uh, First did, time. Did you stay up? Did the whole feed go down or did I just disappear? No, just you. Okay. I stayed up. I'm sitting here paying attention to you with. Well, rap. I was wondering. I was just telling the people. I you didn't change your facial expression. I thought I I stunned you into, but I don't know how much of that you heard. Uh, uh, I, I, I nor do I. Uh, I think we were disconnected for about a minute, minute and change there. Uh, you were uh, unfortunately like Jordan, like everyone else, attempting to explain how Jalen Waddle is just because of perceived notion a better potential NFL draft pick than uh, the guy who actually went out and won the Heisman Trophy. Well, yeah, well, well, I'm saying, you know, Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy, wasn't a good quarterback. I mean, come on, Jody, we're not going to rely on what you did at the college level as a, a certain projection. That's what makes this difficult. It's not about what you did. It's about evaluating and projecting what you're going to do at the next level. But that comparison I made, look, Again, when John Taylor made a big play in the Super Bowl, you weren't saying, I assume at the time, he's better than Jerry Rice because he made a big play in the Super Bowl. I mean, he's a good player. Uh, sometimes the football goes in a different direction, but you know who the best player is, and I think we all know Jerry Rice. No, no, and that's what I was saying. Just because you're saying Jalen Waddell has a bigger upside, which I agree with, doesn't mean Devontae Smith is a bad player. It's just, you know, they're two really good players who are going to be first-round picks, and we'll see how it shakes out from there. But I think it is fair to say Jalen Waddle has the bigger upside. Yeah, no, I completely disagree with that. I think Devontae <laughs> Smith has the bigger upside, will be the better player, will have the better career in the National Football League. Uh, here's where I do want to agree with you, though, because – 
sometimes people just don't understand this or they don't want to comprehend it or the like. We're comparing two players to each other, Waddle and Smith, and they're natural comparisons because they're both in this draft. They're both coming from the same university. Uh, so the comparison is, is quite natural. When you say you think one is going to be the, better than the other, when you say you like one better than the other, some people, all they hear is, wow, he hates the other guy. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. not the case. I'm sure no. you don't hate Devonta Smith, no. even though you believe that Jalen Waddell's got more no. potential upside to be a better player. People don't get that, and it annoys oh. the snot out of me when they yeah. don't. I think Jalen Waddell is going to be a very good player. I think Devonta Smith is going to be a great player. I think he's going to be the better of the two. It doesn't mean one is going to be great and the other is going to suck. It just means when you have a choice of two players, if it so happens that when the Eagles sit on the board at 12, both of the young men are there for them to choose from, you got to make a choice. You got to pick one of the two. It doesn't mean that the other one stinks. This is kind of akin to the uh, conundrum I'm facing at number two as a Jet fan. I believe that uh, Justin Fields is the second best quarterback in this draft. I believe he's going to have a bigger career in the National Football League than Zach Wilson. It looks like the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson at two. It doesn't mean I think Jack, Zach Wilson stinks or that he's going to be a bust. Or once again, the Jets will take a quarterback and he'll fade into the world at some point over his career and Jet fans will be left hanging their heads. I think Zach Wilson's got a chance to be a real nice NFL quarterback. I think he can make the Jets a better team than they've been. It's just I would prefer to have Justin Fields. The comparison I made uh, on a different show was that uh, back in 1983, which will be a year that will always be near and dear to my heart because of the year that I graduated from college, and so did uh, John Elway, um, Tony Eason, uh, Blackledge, uh, Jim Kelly, Ken O'Brien, and this guy who went as the sixth quarterback pick in that draft by the name of Dan Marino. Uh, my New York Jets took a kid by the name of Kenny O'Brien, who, oh, by the way, if you look up the Jets, all-time leaders, passing yards. He's a good player. Up, he's, a good he's, player. he's right at the top of all those lists. Yeah. First or second behind name it, second or third, somewhere thereabouts. Had a really nice career that even included a stopover in Philadelphia at the back end of it, playing a little bit with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. But the Jets passed on Dan Marino. They had a chance to take Dan Marino. Yeah, he, they didn't take him. The Buffalo Bills took Jim Kelly, who became a Hall of Fame quarterback, took the Bills to four straight Super Bowls. Didn't win any of them, but they did go to four straight Super Bowls. You can't knock, if you're a Bills fan, the career that Jim Kelly had. Yeah, they probably should have and could have taken Dan Marino, and it might have actually meant winning one of those Super Bowls with all the pieces that they had there in Buffalo. Again, you can have a preference. You can look at two players. You can say you like one better than the other. I really am torn with the Eagles about the two cornerbacks. I've talked to a bunch of guys who do this for a living, like Jordan Reed, like my buddy Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible, uh, some people who are actually in the league and have uh, responsibilities to put together draft boards this year. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I think they're so close. I don't think you can go wrong between Sertain and Horn, and there are reasons to like one over the other. I don't have nearly as definitive a stance there as I do at the wide receiver position and the cornerback position. I don't really know which cornerback to take. Our buddy Jordan, who was just on with us, said his guy is Horn. He thinks he's the best cornerback overall, dependent on scheme and whatever else. If you're just looking at football talent, he thinks he's the best cornerback available. You think the same? Yeah, I do. We were talking off the air before we started the show uh, about Horn versus Sertain, and I also said Horn. But, you know, you brought up an interesting thing. You're going back to Marino, Jim Kelly, the 83 draft. One thing you said at the very end was scheme, system, coaching. I, I, I think people think everything is in a stasis. If Dan Marino ended up with the Jets or the Bills or everything's the same. That's not the case. And one of the reasons I told you, Jody, that I would prefer Horn, I'm kind of defaulting, you know, and and I see the mistake because I'm used to Jim Swartz. I'm used to that defense. That's what I've seen for the past five years with the Eagles. He wants a, a press man corner. He would make more sense. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon wants. If he wants more of a zone-based corner, there's talk he'd like to play more cover two, more cover three, then I think Sertain's the better fit. So a lot of it comes down to the coaching staff, the scheme, what do they want to run, the fit. I often go back to 99 and Donovan McDavid. There are a lot of quarterbacks at the top of that draft. Uh, Tim Couch and Achilles Smith and even Dante Culpepper. What if Donovan McNabb ended up in Cleveland? And Tim Couch ended up with Andy Reid. How does that change history? I think pretty significantly. So, so much goes into it, Jody. And it isn't just about, oh, this guy's a good player. I always say, when you hand in that card, the work doesn't stop. you got to develop these players. you got to put these players in the right scheme. And maybe when we're having this conversation Waddle uh, versus Smith. Tell me where each player is going to end up. Right. If Waddle ends up in Green Bay by some re- miraculous uh, uh, turn of fate, twist of fate, guess what? I'll tell you right now, he's going to be better than Devontae Smith because he's going to have Aaron Rodgers throwing to him, I think, uh, if Aaron doesn't go anywhere. Uh, if Devontae Smith ends up in Philadelphia, on the other hand, Numbers aren't going to be great, probably, at least early in his career. So that's one. You don't even have to do it that way, Jody. You can go back to to last year. People are assuming that Justin Jefferson would have had the same numbers at Philadelphia that he had in Minnesota. You can hate Kirk Cousins all you want. That is a high-volume passer. Look at his numbers dating all the way back to Washington. Justin Jefferson wasn't putting up those numbers in Philadelphia. Bottom line. 
You are uh, most probably right about that. Uh, the Vikings offense, which is better than the Eagle offense last year, with Carson Wentz struggling as much as he did, and then Jalen Hurts jumping in as a wet behind the years rookie at quarterback. It did compromise all the Eagle offensive weapons. So uh, you're right. And that if uh, you look at it through that lens, it gives you hope that Jalen Rager can be a uh, significantly bigger contributor in year number two, one than he was a uh, year number two than he was in year number one. But I would still take a wide receiver. I would still take Devonta Smith if they're both sitting there. Uh, Johnny's going to jump on the potential of uh, Jalen Wild. And you're right. We, we, we will not know. The reason why I think it's more significant a comparison with the wide receivers is there are hard and fast numbers despite the situations that they're in. You're right. If one is in a more pass-friendly offense with a better quarterback, with just a better offense as compared to a guy who joins a team who's going to have to lean on him to be the number one uh, option in a uh, first-round draft pick situation, it's just not fair, the comparison. But we'll do it anyway, and it will be number of yards, number of touchdowns, number of catches, numbers of first downs. There are analytical numbers, very easy to study and compare analytical numbers at the wide receiver position that you can compare one to another. The cornerback position, you talk about trying to figure out the level of play in the scheme that the person is in. It's just as difficult to do at the cornerback spot because different teams have different things of their cornerbacks we don't even know what the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles is going to expect and want from his cornerbacks. So the Eagles are going to make a call if they make a call between the two corners that are there, if both are there when they go at number 12. I don't believe that I'm accomplished enough to be able to sit here and say, well, this cornerback actually had a better year than that cornerback at the end of the year. We might not even be able to tell it. And there aren't even real enough. Oh, uh, one guy had three interceptions the other one had two is that going to be the telling stat as to which quarterback actually had the better rookie year yeah i mean you know tell me what the pass rush is tell me you know are they hung out to dry i mean one of the reasons the eagles were able to sign anthony harris is because of all the injuries and all the opt-outs minnesota had he led the nfl in interceptions one daniel hunter was out there and everson griffin was out there the vikings led the league in sacks, you know, when they couldn't get near the quarterback. Oh, magically he had no interceptions. I mean, yeah, you got to look deeper. You got to put more context into it. Um, So I, I mean, defensively. Yeah, but you'll hear it. You know, what am I, I hope we have Damo on at one point in the future here, Jody, you know, he's the Eagles hall of fame voter. One of the problem I have with hall of fame voting is still look at, across eras and they'll say oh lynn swan shouldn't be in the hall of fame because every tom dick and harry gets uh better numbers than him in this era because the game has changed Mm -hmm. um so if yeah if you're one of those people that are just putting up oh this guy has three interceptions this guy's got four interceptions i want the four interception guy (laughs) you're not doing a good job no, you're not. Uh, you mentioned scheme and uh, to judge a quarterback, cornerback, you need to know what kind of pressure the team is putting on the quarterback, uh, which is very true. I think I texted this on Friday. Maybe it was Saturday sometime over the weekend. I was going through uh, uh, the free agents that are left out there on the open market. It is slow to almost to trickle at this point. 
And it's understandable because teams are so knee deep in draft preparation and they want to see who they're going to be able to get and they add X amount of players at X amount of positions. So they put all free agency basically aside and will probably be revisited after the draft. There were two names that jumped out at me because if you're in agreement with me, any of our uh, viewers, listeners um, who believe that the Eagles need to add a an outside player, a cornerback or a uh, wide receiver in the first round and then fill in uh, subsequent other positional needs as you come through the rounds in the draft. Uh, they could use another outside rusher. Nobody questions. You can never have like, like pitching in baseball. You can have enough pitching. You never have enough speed rushers in the National Football League. Guys who can wreak havoc and get to the quarterback. And I surely believe the Eagles need to add some more of that. How they're going to go about do it, we can debate and uh, talk about. A couple of guys who've had nice parts of their career as guys who can get to the QB off the edge who are getting up there in years, injury experiences and the like, who I'm surprised haven't signed yet. And you never know why a guy hasn't signed. Maybe they're overvaluating themselves. They think they're still worth X amount of dollars, and the league is just across the board saying, well, no, you're not. You come down to what we're offering, then we can talk. But two guys whose names kind of jump off the page, I want to get your take on them, both unquestionably not at the top of their game anymore, but I still think – capable of being a guy who can cause problems on the edge. One of which is a guy the Eagles should know quite well because you've been playing against him for years. That would be Ryan Kerrigan, the uh, defensive end from the Washington Red Eagles killer too. Eagles, Eagles killer. killer. Oh, right, did I sure. say Redskins? My bad. I, uh, I, I'll do that until the year 2037. I do believe I'll still be calling the Washington football team who's in the market for a new name, um, the Washington Redskins. The Washington football team's former defensive end, Ryan Kerrigan. And the other guy is Melvin Ingram, pass rushing defensive end from the Nice San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers, who is also still on the creative market. Now Um, we just got to get the uh, Las Vegas Raiders uh, and not have the Oakland slip up. Which is difficult. Uh, too many times. A quick story about the Oakland one. Uh, Oakland, for those of our young viewers out there who don't know the history of the NFL, the Oakland Raiders were in Oakland. Al Davis got into a big fight with the NFL. Great uh, docuseries on it as well. Uh, moved the team to Los Angeles just to stick it to the NFL and get out of Oakland. Um, was there for a decade? Yeah, were, long were time, longer. For, longer. for a 10-plus years, I think it was. Yeah. And then eventually moved the team back to Oakland after being in Los Angeles. I swear to God, I had just gotten to the point where I never called them the Oakland Raiders anymore. It took me the better part of a decade to stop calling them the Oakland Raiders and call them the Los Angeles Raiders, where they won a Super Bowl, by the way. And no sooner do I get them down as the Los Angeles Raiders, they move back to Oakland. So I got to go back to calling them the Oakland Raiders. And yes, they're still the Oakland Raiders to me, even though they play in Vegas. I apologize in advance for that. But uh, we've gotten a little bit off uh, our mark here. Give me your evaluation of Ryan Kerrigan and Melvin Ingram. Why are these two guys still sitting out there? If you've heard anything, rumors around only, are they asking for too much money? Do people believe at the age of 30 they just don't have it anymore? These are two guys who have been top 10 pass rushers in the league at one point during their career. 
Why are they still without a home at this stage? Well, I think, yeah, I think, one, they don't want to play for uh, a certain amount of money. And obviously, they want more money. So they're kind of, you know, waiting things out. And the real, I always say this, Jody, every year. And we go through this, and we'll go through it. And trust me, um, everybody will say day after the draft, uh, oh, so-and-so is great. This kid's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be plug and play. And then when they finally get to their new city, wherever that might be, and it's not going to be, you know, they're going to have a, a rookie mini camp as it stands now, but usually it's training camp and the coaches look at the kid and they go, Oh, Oh God, he's not ready. He's not going to be able to help us. We need some help on the edge. And that's where guys like Ryan Kerrigan and Melvin Ingram will will swoop in and probably get five, six million dollars. But from the Eagles standpoint, look, they're not in a position. We've talked about it a lot with for that type of player. This is the type of player they would have went after in 2017, 2018, 2019, even when they thought the championship window was open. Then they would look after the draft, said, okay. We didn't get the edge rushing help that we wanted. Let's go sign Ryan Kerrigan. But I just don't think the Eagles are thinking that way anymore, and correctly so. They have to build. They have to get younger players, younger roster, turn it over, cost-effective contracts. I don't think they're in the market for that type of player at this particular time. Fair enough. Um, and it would just be a one-year deal, uh, a phrase that is probably used more in other sports than it is in a National Football League, but certainly fits with the NFL as well. Uh, I think both of these guys would be considered rentals. No one's doing a multi-year yeah. contract with either no, of these no. players and spreading a signing bonus over a period of time to get a little cap relief. No, you're, you're paying them what you're paying them, and you're going to use them for one year to make yourself a better football team. Um, you're right. The Eagles need to develop because Brandon Graham is getting up there in years. They need to develop a pass rushing specialist on the edge who can be here for the next five, six, seven years. So uh, basically, I agree with you on that. Um, but And then you get, by the way, Jody, you get in that catch 22. If you bring in somebody like Kerrigan, who can still play, he's going to be taking reps away from those young players. Even Josh Sweat, you're going to go, oh, we got to get a coach is going to say, we got to get Kerrigan on the field because he's going to help us win on Sunday. That can't be the Eagles thinking. And that's sort of the disconnect between the GM and the head coach naturally. I mean, the head coach wants to win every right. single game. The GM's got to think about more than that. He's got to think about 2022, even 2023. And that's a difficult balancing act. So let's bring the interested third party into the discussion. Uh, you've got the coach and his desires, aspirations, what he wants to see happen. You've got the general manager who's more of a roster and team builder and isn't going to be held accountable. And, oh, by the way, here in this town, Howie Roseman doesn't seem to be held accountable for wins and losses. It's just as long as he keeps the owner well apprised and uh, a guy who's pushing the buttons and uh, gives him the rein to be able to do that and cover to be able to do that. How about the third party here? That would be the Philadelphia Eagles fans, the Birds 365, who live, sleep, eat, breathe it, uh, spend the money for tickets, spend the money for uh, swag and gear and everything else. They okay with 
the not the most important thing is the W's and the L's in 2020. I know that the owner is on record about it. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why they moved away from Doug Peterson. He was too worried about winning games in 2022, while the team needed to have both the long view and the intermediate view of what's going to happen with this organization going forward. Should the fans just be okay with, hey, yes, we're in a restructuring period and we have to understand that and take it, even if it means another four-win season? Well, Jody, you've been on the air for a long time in this market. I think you know the answer to that. I think a different generation, absolutely not. They are not okay with it. This generation, yeah. I think they've sort of, you know, whether you look at the Sixers and, and they've kind of shifted the thinking in the, in the process, they kind of say what I said about Ricky Bobby. Well, if we're not going to win, we might as well lose. I don't get it personally, and we're going to have Mike Gill, and we had some knockdown drag-out brawls at Harris for live shows about the Sixers process. I don't get it. It's not for us. It's not for our generation, but we got a whole generation that's been brought up on either you win or give me the number one overall pick so you can win. I, I think there's a lot of gray area in between that you should be working, uh, but I, I think there's at least, and you probably know better than me because you take phone calls all the time, there's at least a big minority that feels like, okay, if I'm not going to win it, you know, I might as well lose and get a better draft pick. There is, and uh, well, I'm more like you. I will say this, and I said this about the Sixers, and I'll, if that's the case this year with the Philadelphia Eagles, Jeff Lurie alluded to it. Howie Roseman isn't on the record about it. Nick Sirianni isn't going to go there. And if he did, I don't know that I would believe him if he said that, uh, that winning is not a priority here in 2020. I don't think you get anybody to say that out loud. I'm okay with it. My problem with the process with the 76ers was not that the fact that they were taking a step backwards to take two forwards at a future date. You have to do that in sports. It is cyclical. You do make a run. You do get a little old. You do get in, in capped leagues like the NFL and the NBA. You can get a little bit of a hole. So you got to take a big hit, come backwards before you go forward again. I understand all that. The reason I had a problem with the Sixers was, oh, they didn't take step back. They took two three, four steps back before they were going to make any steps forward. And I think that's just unfair to a fan base. You can't say, we're going to be bad. Not just this year, not the year after, but the year after that. And we can't promise anything in year. We're going to suck for three years and we just want you to grin and bear it, fans. That's just wrong. I don't think you can do that. Take a step backwards to take two forward. I get it. I understand when a team makes a decision, you can do it at the wrong time. You can do it improperly. But the philosophy of it does make sense in sports as we know it here in the 21st century. So I'm okay with it if the Eagles do that. If you tell me that's why a guy like Kerrigan, that's why a guy like Ingram isn't going to land here. Because the Eagles will get Josh Sweat that many more snaps this year and give him a true chance to prove if he is a pass rushing specialist. Okay, I'm good with that. But you got to let me know that. Somebody's got to tell me that. That's supposition from a very educated John McMullen. I want to hear <laughs> from somebody who actually gets a check from the Eagles 
tell me that that's the case, that that's why they're not going after guys like this who have proven track records, who can probably help the Eagles win games next year. I want to hear from the Eagles tell me that. And by the way, and we're going to have Mike Mike Gillow after the break. By the way, Jody, you know, they also only have $5 in cap room. So it's not like they have a – and they still need most of that cap room to sign their rookie class, which is going to be probably 9, 10, potentially 11 deep. So they don't have room to do it either. And that that is probably where I should have started. Right, but they still do have their ace in the hole, a guy that we had here on Eagles uh, Birds 365. They never did redo Lane Johnson's contract, and they can if yeah, they want there's to always, create there's some. Always, there's always moves you can make, and there's always restructures you can do. And I think the defensive pass rushing specialist is an area. Hopefully they get a stud in the second round. Uh, I know you still believe Quiddy Pay at number 12 is a possibility. I'm hoping that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> but they do get enough in the draft that they don't need a veteran like the ones that we've been talking about. All right, quickie timeout coming on Birds 365. Hopefully my screen doesn't disappear. Our first technical glitch in two weeks just went complete. Hey, the good news is my screen went green. It didn't go black. It went green for some reason. We're able to reestablish. We'll come back (laughs) and establish with Mike Gill from 97.3 ESPN down the shore. He'll talk some Eagles football with us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, 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 middle. the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very yeah. few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. 
Monday get together here on Birds 365. Back on that guy's McMullen and McDonald hanging with you. We add to the mix a guy who both uh, John and I can say we've worked with over the years. He does it down at 97.3 ESPN down the shore. Mike Gill joins Birds 365. Mr. Gill, been a while. How you been? Guys, how you been? Mac and Mac. Mac, I interned for you on the Mac and Mac days, man. That's going back a ways, 1998. And, of course, uh, Johnny Mac and I, the creators of Football at Four. Yeah. How about, in a lot of ways, Mike is responsible for Birds 365. We kind of proved, at least on the local level, that you can talk football 365 days a year. Not everybody thought you could, thought you should take a break. I told Mike one day, man, something's going on every day. We might as well do it. And that was a huge success. So I give Mike a, a lot of credit for that. And it kind of spawned off and, and, and did some things from there. There's always something going on, especially as both of you gentlemen know, in this fan base, which um, is uniquely passionate about this team, uh, whether they win four games or 13 games in a Super Bowl. People care more than anything else about this team. Let me ask you about that, Mike. And and I think you and I are of uh, like time spent in the Philadelphia area. I moved here in 1990, so I'm 30-plus years now. And when I came in, coming from New York, uh, uh, New York was a baseball town, is a baseball town, always has been a baseball town. First, not that they don't love their Jets and their Giants, but Yankees and Mets more important than Jets and Giants. And I found out quickly when I got here to Philadelphia, oh, it's Eagles first. Good Phillies fans. They like basketball, the Big Five and the 76ers. And the loyalty to the Philadelphia Flyers is unmatched. It might not be as massive as the other sports, but the loyalty of the fan base is unmatched. What is it about football in the Delaware Valley that does ring so true? And the reasons why a show like the one you and John did and the one John and I are doing now can actually play 365. You know, it's a, it's an interesting, I thought about it a lot because I almost feel it's like the Cubs syndrome, the constant losing and the constant <laughs> being disregarded behind New York, between New York and Washington, and then Dallas with these, you know, America's team. And it's like, hey, we're here. And I feel that the Eagles fans wanted to kind of create their own almost it's like ECW in wrestling. I know you guys are wrestling guys. Like they wanted to create their own thing and it just exploded to where Eagles were life. Eagles were everything. And if New York's winning titles and Washington's winning titles and Dallas is winning titles, we'll create our own identity as this rabid fan base. And I think, you know, it really took off. I mean, Jody, when I was interning for you the team was terrible i mean i was one of the interns that called those 30 gentlemen and said hey you've been elected uh, selected to go to a bus up to new york and boo this man like that was my job david helford said i need you to call these 30 guys and that's what i did and you know it was like one of these things like what is like you know so i i think it's crazy i also i caught a little bit of what you were talking about with the losing and I feel why it's not there. The Sixers are almost down that path where we'll, we'll, we will create our own little niche now because we did this thing that everybody thumbed their noses up at us for. And, and I say now look at us. They haven't won anything yet, but it's trending in a positive direction. And I think the fans almost wear it like a badge of honor that we 
were a part of this. You know, it's interesting, Mike, because you bring up the success and we saw the the height of Super Bowl 52 and we were there uh, in Minneapolis together in Bloomington. Um, and, and then you look at the losing in a lot of ways, I think there's more interest when there is losing because the angst uh, drives uh, more, at least certainly more impact when it comes to people wanting to pick up the phone, wanting to argue, wanting to go on Twitter. Uh, have you seen that that losing kind of helps in that way? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, everybody has the answer to fix the problems. When you're winning, you can't complain. So when the team is going in a downward direction, Joe in Egg Harbor Township and Tom in Summers Point and where you guys are up in Philly – they have the remedy. They want to let everybody know who's wrong and how to fix it. So there's no question that the losing element, you know, I'm not a huge caller driven show. I try not to take a lot of calls, but I do exactly what you guys do. You can watch my show on video every day. And just like you, my comments down the sides are just people going back and forth with how they fix this team. And it's just, it's a passion like no other. And, and I said the other day, but Mike, that, real quick, let yeah. me jump in real quick. Go. Why does that the Sixers kind of tapped into that as well with the process, but not the Phillies and not the Flyers, at least as much. I mean, when the Phillies are making runs, when it's Chase Hutley, Chase Hutley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, there's tremendous interest. But sort of the 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 apathy kind of settles in when they're yeah. not good. Same thing with the Flyers, at least. You know, and Jody mentioned that 17,000 passionate fan base, but you got to grow it. Why is it not the same for those teams? Uh, Jody might agree with me or disagree. I'm interested in this. I I'm not sure this is a great baseball town. I think it's a front-running baseball town when the team's great. You know, Citizens Bank Park became the place to be. Hey, meet me in Ashburn Alley. Meet me out there. It wasn't because they loved this team so much, I don't think. I think it was just the place. How many people watching this right now are married because they met someone in Ashburn Alley? Or, you know, <laughs> that was the cool thing to do in that era. And then as soon as that coolness went away, eh, I've been to the ballpark a couple times. Eh, the team's not any good. Eh, I don't really care. I don't know that the baseball fan is nearly as passionate in this area as the football fan. And now – to some extent, the basketball fan. There was a high school, college swell of fans here. I think the pro team has grabbed them as well. I'll defend the baseball fan in this way, Mike. Um, the Philly fan is a more discerning fan than the Eagle fan. Yeah. Meaning that when the Phillies are bad, they're not going to spend the money. They're not nope. going to go down. They're not going to buy the tickets. They are probably just as annoyed and uh, put off as the Eagle fan when the Eagles are bad. But you're right. They're not going to pick up the phone and whine about it on, on WIP. But they'll show their distaste by just not going. The Eagles sell out every single year. Doesn't matter. Yeah. They can be 2-14, and 14 and they're going to still sell all their tickets. They might only get 30000 to show up. People will buy the tickets just so they can have them when they turn it around and get good again. They'll sell them for uh, less than face value. They'll give them away, but they'll still buy them all. The, the Eagle fan base is more attached. I don't know if I would use the word passionate, but attached 
and will speak out both for and against the team, depending on when they're good and bad. The Philly fan takes a baseball fan, takes a more measured approach of, all right, you're not getting my money. I'm not, not I'm going away. Not that I'm going to stop caring. I'm going to be watching a box score. I'll catch on TV. I'll listen to the guys on the radio talk about yeah. it, but I'm just not showing up anymore. I, I think that this is, it's a football town, number one, but it's also still a very good baseball town when the team wins or loses. But when they lose, yeah, they're not showing up. Well, and, and keep in mind, I'm 44 years old. So I had 1993. I was a little young in 83. I vaguely remember I was five. They have 93 from 93 to 20, 2008. We had nothing. Yeah. There was the worst of the worst. So there wasn't anything to really formulate. The Eagles were good from basically, I mean, they were good before Ray. I mean, they had the Randall years with Buddy. And then right after that, they sunk a little, but they went, it didn't take long before they went on that Andy Reid run. So there was constant belief. The Phillies gave us no belief for my whole childhood and into my college years. So I think that's a big part of it too. If the Phillies had been even a wild card team consistently, I don't think they had the wild card back then, but you know, a, a, a team that made the playoffs every now and then you probably would have changed that course of, of what you're talking about. Not to mention the notion of 82 nights as opposed to eight. Well, yeah, maybe that now helps, nine. yeah, that helps as well, Mike, but okay. You mentioned that belief with the Eagles. Where is that belief gone? Because there's a lot of people who don't believe in this team, and a lot of it has to do with Harry Roseman. Jody and I talk about what are the Eagles going to do at 12 overall, and you have this group that says it doesn't matter because Howie's taking a pick, so they're going to they're going to screw it up anyway. Where where is that belief gone? Well, John, you know me well. I'm somewhat thought to be somewhat of a contrarian and <laughs> outside of my own box many of times. Um, well, I'm not the biggest Howie hater in the world. I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's the worst. He's made some good picks. He's missed on picks. I mean, we always like to bring up, well, he didn't take DK Metcalf. Well, neither did 30 other teams for two straight rounds. He had a medical red flag that many teams just would not yes, take. he had a medical red flag. He wasn't even on the Eagles board. Right. And by the he way, the know. Seattle Seahawks, who did pick him, passed on him the first time he was on the board. Uh, they didn't take Justin Jefferson. We have no evidence to suggest that Justin Jefferson would get 1,400 yards playing in this offense. We'd probably be sitting here on Bird 65, 365 complaining about what a bust he was. We conveniently leave out that, hey, he did draft Lane Johnson, and he did draft Zach Ertz, and he did find guys like Isaac Sayamala and Jordan Maialata. There are some people that believe that in that 2012 year. I was at that press conference. Maybe you guys were as well. When Jeff Laurie said, hey, we had a draft board we used to go off of. Roseman's draft board has consistently been the best draft board. We're going to start going off of that draft board. And in that draft, they took Fletcher Cox. He turned out to be pretty good. So, yes, I think the last three years have been frustrating. However, I get a lot of calls, and I don't know about you, that discount Roseman role in the Super Bowl and they'll tell me it was Joe Douglas he was the one that found those guys and I said all right well if we're going to give him credit for finding these guys don't we have to give him some of the blame for the misses in these recent draft classes so I don't know what to think of Howie I think they have built in a somewhat of an armor a car for him to not take the blame, who was making picks in this time? Was Chip making picks? Was he making picks? 
Do we have a collaborative effort? I don't know. All I know is this. The guy made a move that I would have made a 1,000 times out of a 1,000 trading back to 12 to get that extra pick because no pick at number six is helping this team out. But that being said, in 2012, this team lost four offensive linemen. They had a disastrous season. Andy Reid got fired. Chip Kelly comes in, and voila, they win 10 games. You know what? They had a healthy offensive line. If they can get that healthy offensive line back this year, I don't know that you're going to see a team as bad as the one you saw last year. Since you're showing a lot of faith in Howie, and you made a good case, Mike, that, uh, yeah, people seem to pick on him when picks go awry, but when they actually do turn out, somebody else gets credit, which is not right. Um, So I'm with you there. Will Howie continue to be wheeler-dealer? If at number 12, we're all waiting, and I know – uh, everywhere in the Delaware Valley, when the name gets called out at six, if it's a player that would just naturally fit with the Eagles, people will start pulling their hair out. He could have been our guy, uh, but that will be water under the bridge at that time. They're going to come up again at 12 and X amount of players will still be available. Will Howie Roseman trade back again? Because draft assets are what they are and the Eagles are in a reconstruction, rebuild, call it whatever you want type mode. Is there a chance that Howie continues to say, I'm not worried about this very moment. I'm worried about the big picture. Give me more future draft picks. Always. I mean, I think if you ask every executive in the league, they feel like Howie is the one guy who on draft day will go up back somewhere. They're not making all 11 picks. There's no way that's happening. So with all the draft capital they have, they're going to be moving. I wouldn't be shocked if they moved from 12 jumped over New York and Dallas and fell somewhere in that seven, eight, nine range uh, because of what they did to get back to 12. They can now move themselves back up if they want to and still say, Hey, thanks for the first round pick Miami. And we're going to jump over the two teams in our division and get the guy we really want. So I think they put themselves in a really good spot. I get the other side. Well, they're going to mess up the picks anyway. The same people who think they're going to miss up the picks didn't want them to trade from 6 to 12. So they were going to get it right at 6, but they're going to get it wrong at 7, 8, or 9. I I don't understand that way of thinking, but I get it. People, I say, if Howie Roseman looked like Joe Douglas, dressed like Joe Douglas, and spoke like (laughs) Joe Douglas, most people wouldn't hate him as much. I feel like they just don't like him personally, the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he dresses. He has a look that... The hardworking guy here can't relate to. Joe Douglas looks like a football guy. Howie Roseman doesn't. And I think that stems a lot of the reason why people simply don't like this guy. Yeah, you're right, Mike. It's football guy versus non-football guy. And some of that came out in the athletic story recently about the analytics department having issues with the scouting department and vice versa. You know, one of the things you bring up is whose pick is it? Where's the transparency? And I yeah. said, we're going to have a couple Lori picks. We're going to have some Rosemans. We're going to have an Alec Hallaby. And we're going to have some Andy Wiles when nobody recognizes the name. Isn't that the biggest problem? And, you know, we'll, we'll go into Jalen Hurts as well. So two-parter, you know, yeah. optionality. You and I used to have those knockout dragouts. People still <laughs> talk to me about those that we had at Harris. They thought Mike and I were going to kill each other. And we were never angry at each other whatsoever. But optionality with Jalen Hurts, safety nets, getting those three first-round picks in 2022, do they even believe in the quarterback? So transparency in the quarterback, where are you? 
Um, all right. So the transparency part, I feel, is a battle. The, the whole dysfunction in the organization I found fascinating because I say this all the time about all teams in all sports. You have a battle in baseball, the analytics versus the baseball scouts. Jody, you know this well. Your father would probably, in this day and age, be looking at these guys like, are you kidding me? They're fighting. They have a dysfunction because they don't agree. The, if you put the Tampa Bay Rays front office and put it with an old school baseball team, they're going to have dysfunction because they have two different philosophies. The problem the Eagles and many teams have is they want to serve two masters and they don't know how to make them coexist because neither side respects the other. The football guy doesn't respect the analytic guy and the analytic guy thinks he's smarter than the football guy. So in that innate situation, you have dysfunction. You don't have harmony. You don't have one way of picking, which means you get a pick, you get a pick, you get a pick, and let's find out which pick works the best. And maybe down the road, if your picks work out more than his picks, we'll start to follow you more. And the transparency isn't going to happen because neither side is right or wrong. There's two ways you can do it. They can both coexist, but they refuse to coexist in harmony. The Hertz pick, I didn't have a big problem with. I don't think that they thought it was going to get to this point. I understood that they value the backup quarterback. How many executives said it's a top 10 position in football? We got to get a good one. We've won a Super Bowl because of it. Some would say it's arrogant. You needed other holes filled. And they would say, we think the backup quarterback's more important than the safety. It depends on where you think of that. Hertz is now your starting quarterback. So it worked out in the end. If he turns out to be a great player, it worked out great. That whole thing there, I think, will never know the real reason why did they think Hertz was injury prone? Did they think that he wanted to get out of here? Did he think there was already a relationship problem inside the organization? Who knows? Let me ask you about Carson Wentz, because, Mike, we haven't got your take on it. No, well, your Jersey Shore listeners know uh, your feelings about Carson Wentz. <clears throat> How do you think most Eagle fans will feel about him, say, 10 years from now, we'll, we'll put some good time into the mix to let some harsher feelings mend a little bit. Will yeah. Carson Wentz be remembered finally by 50% of the Eagle fans, 30% of the Eagle fans, 2% of the Eagle fans? I know it's not a zero, but it sure as hell isn't 100 either. Uh, 10 years from now, and a lot can happen that could move the pendulum one way or the other. What do you think the feeling about Carson Wentz is going to be like in this town? Well, I, I said I was a big Carson Wentz fan, and uh, I I was shocked at what has happened. I, I used to say, with this kid as your quarterback, he will simply not allow a four. You won't worry about four win seasons because he's so competitive. He simply won't allow your team to have one of these just horrible seasons. That was not the case. I said last year I was so disappointed if you just had mediocre quarterback play. We're not having this conversation. And they probably are eight and eight at the worst. I mean, he was so bad in some games that I can't understand how they were even competitive in that it's shocking to me. That said, I feel like Eagle fans always turn around and embrace the guy. He used to be ours, and when he comes back, I mean, it happened with you know Scott Rowland and uh my gosh, you look at even guys who were in the town stunk, and then like Pat Burrell, the people booed him for crazy because he got that contract. But in the end, they want to love the guy. And I think if, in the end, Wentz will probably be successful in Indianapolis and they'll say, he was once our guy. <laughs> Boom. And in the surface, he'll get booed whenever they play and he's the worst. 
But in the end, I think they will embrace it. All right. Well, their guy now, a head coach, is Nick Sirianni. So how how have you sensed people embracing? I mean, we don't know anything about Nick Sirianni, but you do have this sentiment that you know the energy could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, depending how you you put the spin on it. You know, some people say that's rah rah high school stuff. Some people say we need that youth, we need that energy. What has been your sort of feeling on how people are looking at Nick Sirianni? Very much an unknown. You remember when Chip got hired, people were excited because they knew him, but they didn't know what to expect. That first game on Monday Night Football, you thought that they reinvented football. It was, oh, my God, look what's going on here. But that whole offseason, you won four games. And going into that first game, it was either a Monday or Sunday night, and it was – I have no idea what to expect from this team. They can win 10 games. They can win four. They can win eight. Are they going to punt on fourth down? Are they going to go for it every single time? You had no idea. And he came out like gangbusters and then didn't really have another gear to shift into. And and that kind of gimmick went away. This is even more of an unknown. This is just, hey, much like the analytics versus football guy. I don't know if he's either, but this is, let's give a young guy with new ideas a shot. You remember when Lori said, we want to be five years ahead of being five years ahead. That's why they hired Chip Kelly. I don't know that he's being that brand uh, brash about it, but there's that element I think people are, well, did they hire this guy because they can tell him what to do and he can't really have any say. You know, I remember, I forget who I was talking to about this uh, on my show a couple weeks ago, and I said, well, Jonathan Gannon, he's going to run a totally different defense than Jim Schwartz. Mostly what we're hearing is covered too, different from Jim Schwartz. Is he going to have any say? And, hey, I really need a corner if you want my defense to work. Okay, we'll get you J.C. Horn. We'll get you – we'll trade up to get Patrick Sertan. I mean, how much say does this group of guys have? Does this new, younger energy in that building? And all this negative stuff coming out, are they understanding that and changing their mindset and opening up? I mean, remember how he got thrown down the broom closet? If you remember this, I find this to be interesting. If you go back to Jason Kelsey's drunken rant, the first <laughs> guy he brought up in that rant was who? Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman got thrown in the broom closet. I didn't see him for two years, but he came <laughs> back a changed man. Well, is all these articles about him going to make him a changed man for a second time? I don't know. I find this new um, – Coaching staff, very young, very inexperienced, can either be a breath of fresh air or turn into more micromanaging and controlling. All right, Mike Gill, we need you on the record between now and the draft. Uh, No, it's pure speculation. John and I do it every day. You do it on your show. Eagle fans want to know well in advance when it comes to number 12. If the Eagles stay put, which we're all acknowledging, they could trade back. They could trade trade up. But the biggest possibility is they'll take the player that best fits their needs, that they've got the highest grade on at number 12. When they do, what position will that player be? Will it be an inside player, uh, defensive lineman, offensive lineman? We're pretty sure it's not going to be a quarterback. I, highly unlikely it's going to be a linebacker. That's where I do believe Eagle history does come in. Although, again, as John continues to remind us, we both forget this isn't the Jim Schwartz defense we're looking at anymore. It's a new defense. So maybe Eagle positions will change on positions as to whether they draft a linebacker or not. Are they going inside? Are they going outside? 
corner wide receiver or someone that lines up between the tackles, either offensively or defensively? Well, I think if Waddle or Smith are there, I believe they'll take one of those two guys would be my thought. Um, And then if they trade up, it's because they want Patrick Sertan and they don't want him to go to Dallas. I'm not saying we don't want you to go to Dallas and that's why we want you. It's we want him and we know you're going to take him. So we got to jump over him. So I think those are the options. One of those receivers fall to you at 12, they snag them, or they want a corner to help this defense out, and they have to move up to go get them. They get the one they want because they know there's a team sitting there in their own division that also badly needs that position. So that would be the two most like um, likely options for me. I think the worst-case scenario, guys, is four quarterbacks go, three wide outs, the three big ones, Pitts, Horn, Sertain, and Penne Sewell are all off the board now you're left with what? Micah Parsons? Are they going to take a linebacker in the first round? I, I doubt it. So now you're in a spot where you're scrambling because the two corners are off the board unless you want Farley. The three receivers are off the board. Pitts is off the board. The four quarterbacks are gone, and, and the lineman's gone. Now you're, you're left with the worst-case scenario of we're left with everything else that we have to choose from. They would love that because they could take Rashawn Slater, and they'd be happy, and they could excuse it. But, you know, they want to go offensive, defensive line. They always want to go offensive, defensive line. But, Mike, you mentioned Jalen Hurts as quarterback one. Joe Flacco is now in town, South Jersey native. But that's it. The Eagles have to add another quarterback. So where does that come, day two or day three? I would imagine they get the two third-round picks. I but I don't. I would imagine they would use those third round picks if they want to get from thirty seven back into round one. So I don't think it's in in the in that third round. I would imagine it would be in that fourth, fifth, and and Kyle Trask, Florida, Brian Johnson, Florida. That sounds like a match. Hey, I know this guy. I can work with him. I can groom him. We have a relationship. That would be the name to me of that secondary group of guys, uh, Kellen Munn. Uh, book uh, and Notre Dame. I mean, I think of that group. Trask has some sort of, you can, this is a relationship business, right? Everybody, oh, he coached him. He knows him. I know him. I think that Trask would be the guy that Johnson can say, let me get him in. He'll be our third guy. I can work with them. And, and there's something there. So probably fourth, fifth round for a guy like him, right? Yeah. The problem is I don't think Kyle Trask will be sitting around that long. I think he's a I actually think he's a day two pick. I think he'll be gone in the third round. Um, so he's a guy who makes a lot of sense, and I think has a actual chance to be a uh, starting quarterback yeah. in the NFL. And the Johnson connection with Eagles staff is absolutely there, uh, but they will have to pull the trigger in the third round. And well, keep sure. in mind, Jody, they had the two third round picks. If they don't use one to trade, and they like him that much, that could be the spot. That might be the spot. Is right, Mike Gill. Good stuff. Appreciate you having. Uh, we appreciate having you on. You joining us. We're looking forward to doing this. Oh, on a fairly regular basis. So uh, be ready to punch us up. Thanks for doing that today. We'll talk to you again soon enough. No problem, guys. Good to see Thanks, you. Mike. Mike Gill from 97.3 ESPN down the shore, uh, hopping aboard with us. Uh, yeah, I know Mike for years. John's uh, done shows with him down the shore for years as well. Uh, good dude, knows his stuff, and we will punch him up from time to time right here on Birds 365. All right, quickie timeout, come back. We'll put a bow on the show. Stay with us here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. 
The, the, the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very yeah. few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Come down the home stretch of a Monday edition of Birds 365. Your Mac and Mac got Miss Mullen and McDonald with you. Uh, need to thank both Jordan Reed and Mike Gill, our two guests, for hopping on with us today. Jordan from the NFL Draft Network, Mike from 973 uh, ESPN down the shore. Uh, thank them both for giving us some quality time and some quality insight today. Um, one thing that I know will be a staple on this show going forward, at least on Mondays, is a note or two out of Peter King's uh, Football in America, Football Morning in America. No more Monday morning quarterback. Football football Morning in America, I think. Yes, I think that's what's called. F-M-I-A. So Peter switched up on us a little bit. But it's the Monday column from Peter King. Used to be on Sports Illustrated forever. Then it went to the MMQB. Now it's on NBC. You got to find it where it is on Monday morning because Peter King is as an, as big an authority in the uh, National Football League as there is. Um, one note that I did pick out of his column this morning, and there's plenty of great stuff in there. Um, Atlanta number four for Peter is the uh, jigsaw piece of the NFL draft uh, that the draft could spin or turn. If you believe San Francisco is guaranteed to take a quarterback at three, 
It might be Mac Jones, could be Justin Fields. Maybe that'll surprise us all. And after watching Trey Lance in his second pro day today, they fall in love with him. We know that uh, <clears throat> San Francisco's going to take quarterback at three. We don't really know what the Falcons are going to do. They could stay and use the pick on the quarterback. They could trade it to another team who moves up to take a quarterback. They could take uh, Kyle Pitts. Uh, a lot of different things can happen with the Falcons at four, and that's why Peter said it's the most intriguing spot in the draft, at least on paper right now. And he did give an opinion of what Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, might prefer, might like to see. But he also said he fully expects Arthur Blank to allow his general manager slash coach to uh, make that selection. He will not hear what the phrase Peter used, which I love. Bigfoot, his general manager or his coach in that position, he hired football people to do football things and make football decisions. Yep. Any Wonderful way to do it. However, uh, there's no big footing going on here in Philadelphia when the Eagles are on the clock in the first round, J-Mac? You know, this is what I wrote about in phillyboys.com this morning, which is up now, and the fact that, yeah, I mean, the, Jeffrey Laurie – uh, has pressed the pause on ev- on his own evolution. He's very big. Mike Gale brought up he wants to be five years ahead of five years, blah, blah, blah. He's always looking for the new thing when it comes to his employees, but he's not looking for the new thing when it comes to himself. Yourself, yes. And that is get the hell out of the way. If you hire these people, let them do their jobs, and let's see how that works out. So could you imagine if the Eagles had the number four overall pick? Jeffrey Lurie would be involved. Now, number 12, we'll see. Who is he listening to? Is he listening to Alec Hallaby? Is he listening to Howie Roseman? Is he listening to Andy Weidel? That's part of the problem. Nobody knows. Actually, maybe we do know. He's listening to Jeffrey Lurie. So he'll take in all the information and say, let's do this. Unfortunately, uh, look, this has got to be Howie Roseman's decision. I know people don't like that, but Jody, that's how it's got to be set up. The analytics department, you weigh in. The scouting department, you weigh in. Howie Roseman makes the decision. And then, then, Jody, if that doesn't work, then you move on. Then you fire the general manager. Get somebody where it does work. But that's the way it's got to be. I just think it's borderline humorous. And Mike Gill, to his credit, did a pretty good job of defending Howie Roseman today. He thinks he's over-criticized. That's perfectly fine. Pointed out the strength of what Howie has done while he's been in the position as general manager uh, and his triumphant return after the Chip Kelly era and all those things. I think it's just funny that Maybe the thing that Howie Roseman is least proficient at is his ability to control his owner. And I know the owner is the boss and he's the employee, but that's the want of a lot of general managers and presidents across the National Football League and all sports, for that matter, to give your owner enough rope to make him believe he's actually the guy running the organization while you someone who's dedicated your entire life to doing this be the one who actually makes the key decisions and or comes up with the tough calls. 
that's what I think might be Howie Roseman's biggest fault. He's such a self-survivalist that he's going to basically uh, take orders from Jeffrey Laurie and do whatever Jeffrey says and not be able to balance what his scouts say, what the analytics guys say, what the coaches say. At the end of the day, it's going to be Jeff Laurie's call. Yeah, you're right. It's a skill, Jody, and it is a big skill. It is a needed skill. You got to steer a meddling owner in the right direction. I think that's what Andy Reid did so well in Philadelphia for so long. People got used to it. Since Andy Reid left, no one has had that ability to steer Jeffrey Laurie in the right direction. That's why we're in the, the spot we're in when it comes to Philadelphia Eagles football. And Jeffrey, if you're out there watching, be thinking cornerback or wide receiver. No, the Eagle history says inside offensive lineman, defensive lineman. Johnny Mack tells you you got to stay with your history. No, it's time. No, I don't say that, Jody. I say that's what they think. Okay. This isn't my opinion. I'm saying what the Philadelphia Eagles are going to do. History says they value offensive, defensive line. Now, I will say, and I know we're out of time, I will say, that's the right way to build a football team. However, it always depends on the talent available. Mm, but if yeah. there's a better offensive lineman than a wide receiver or they're even, I'm taking the offensive lineman 99 times out of 100. I don't think that's the case this year. We're not drafting in a vacuum, but we won't know this for another nine days. Yes, we'll be back tomorrow. We're out of time today, but we've still got several days leading up to the draft. It is Birds 365, which means we'll be here every single Monday through through Friday talking uh, Philadelphia Eagles football here with you. We thank our guests. We thank Xander, the outstanding Alabama over-the-top producer, (laughs) did an outstanding job for us today. We'll be back in just, oh, 22 more hours when we return with Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.